we need to create the experience of having pleasure and joy and interest and excitement and passion. Otherwise, it won't come. We'll just be doing the thing. Welcome to The Found Podcast with Molly Knuth, a podcast for women who are founding and getting found with their businesses online. I'm your host, Molly Knuth, and my mission is to help women rewrite how we live and work on our own terms. We want to grow families, impact others for the better, and be a positive force in our communities. But we also want to have a fulfilling life, you know? In the past six years, I've gone from being a stay-at-home mom to a freelance social media marketer to a hashtag boss babe, managing client needs, talented team members, and my husband and four kiddos on our little farm here in Eastern Iowa. And what I've learned in that time is that it's not just about going full force or any one size fits all strategy for a business owner. It takes you leaning into your unique gifts, intuition, and goals, and learning who you are as a person along the way to founding this business. So come along for lessons and stories from female founders growing and scaling their businesses through energetics, tried and true tactics, and high vibe personal growth. Be ready to get found. Hey there, friend. You are here for another episode of The Found Podcast, and might I say, this is going to be a good one. I sit down today with Carrie Cohen of Carrie Cohen Coaching, and wow, this is a great episode. We dig in deep to some of the less than glamorous sides of being a mom, being a female founder, being a CEO and leader of our organizations. Carrie really is the perfect person to bring in this conversation because not only is she a founder herself, but she also is a high-performance self-leadership coach, a certified nutrition coach, gut health specialist, certified hypnotherapist, rapid transformational therapy practitioner, and a licensed psychotherapist. So as we're talking about these concepts of burnout, as we're talking about the feeling of shame, as we're talking about regulating our nervous systems as we're talking today about the feeling of disillusionment that can sometimes come along with reaching a goal and having it feel not as good as we thought it was going to in our minds. Carrie can bring both her educational experience and her trainings to the table to guide us through what we should do next, as well as her lived experience as she went from Uh, a practicing psychotherapist to founding her private practice to making a shift in her own life and career into coaching. And I learned so much from Carrie in the hour that we spent together. And I know, and I even pointed out a couple times in the episode, that there are action steps she shares with us that are just so, so good that we can all take away and start implementing for ourselves as moms, as women, as high achievers who have these big dreams and goals, but also want to build balanced lives. You are going to love this episode. I love this episode. And so without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to my friend, Carrie of Carrie Cohen Coaching. You know what's so much fun to talk about? Payroll. Just kidding. I heard the collective groan that just came when all of you people that are listening made that response. I, I'm, I'm teasing. You guys, calm down. Payroll, taxes, billing, 
all of that stuff kind of makes my head swim. Shoot, I, I zoned out for there for a second. See, see, this is what it does to me. I'm like, my eyes glaze over when I talk about things like, oh, payroll compliance. But let me get back into it. When I made that transition from a one woman show with my business, Molly Knuth Media, and then I transitioned into having contractors to then an official team in 2021, I knew that I needed support in the payroll processing phase of the business. So I started using Gusto. Gusto is the true people platform. Their services help small business owners navigate payroll, HR, documentation, compliance, onboarding, hiring, reporting, and more. Truly, I had no idea what went into being a W-2 employee business. And so a couple months into having employees on my staff, I was like, oh my gosh, did I miss a tax payment? And I truly thought that I was going to get arrested by the IRS or something. But thankfully, I used Gusto. And what Gusto does is they take care of all of that for me. And so they keep uh, an additional portion of each pay period. They save it for taxes. And then when those taxes are due, they automatically file, report, and pay it on my behalf. It makes my life as the business owner so much simpler to know that I have gusto in my corner taking care of all these things on the back end. P.S. I also have my bookkeeper and accountant, Sheila Hansen, who double checks that all this is done correctly. So she is like, she's part of this financial processing team that I've got in my back pocket. But if you want to use gusto services for your growing team, you can get a $100 gift card when you sign up for gusto using my referral link. There's no weird stipulations. All you got to do is like decide that you want to use Gusto, go sign up for Gusto, run your payroll as you typically would, but using the Gusto platform, and then you'll get a $100 gift card. It's that simple. And I cannot tell you how many times I've been so thankful that I have Gusto in my corner. So again, that's Gusto for their people platform to help you as a small business owner navigate all of those other things that come on your plate when you become a small business owner. So that's Gusto, and you can get a $100 gift card when you sign up through that referral link in my show notes. Harry, thank you so much for joining the Found Podcast today. I know this is going to be a very impactful interview for a lot of listeners. I'm super excited to be here. I appreciate you giving me the space. So I'll do a quick intro for those who don't know me. My name is Carrie Cohen, and I am a uh, psychotherapist and a performance coach, and I work with female founders and CEOs. I'm sort of their secret weapon in their back pocket. Oh, this is going to be such a good conversation today. Founders, CEOs, goes right in line with the Found Podcast, so this is going to be perfect. Carrie, can you tell us a little bit more about what drew you into the field of psychotherapy? I did a lot of reading on your website and got your backstory. I found it fascinating, but I was very intrigued to hear about your education and your training and then what you experienced once you actually got into building your own practice. So can you walk mm -hmm. us through those early stages of your career, please? Yeah, gosh, it's been a long time. So I started my career officially after graduate school, which was in 1999. 
And I didn't actually know that I would end up in private practice, but I knew that I enjoyed clinical work. So early in my career, like most clinicians, I worked in agencies. I worked in a trauma clinic in New York City. I worked in, I worked with psychiatric population in New York. I'm actually from New York. So I went to grad school there. And when I moved to Florida, I started working in foster care with children and families. And, um, and at that point, I actually started working more in administration. I started doing uh, clinical supervision with the therapist, which I really loved, actually. And sadly, the foster care agency that I was working for shut down and they sort of uh, relinquished those duties back over to the state. And so then I found myself at a crossroads. This was about, I would say, four years into my career. And I thought, all right, so what am I going to do now? I was already licensed. And that's when I decided to start my private practice. So I just got an office and got some business cards because that's what you did back in 2002. You get an office and you get some business cards. And so I started actually my early career. I, re- I specialized in working with children and their parents. And so I did that for uh, a good while until 09 when I had my own daughter. And then I, what I really started to feel was it was just too much kid time for me at work. And so I transitioned out of working with children. And, you know, it's interesting when I think about um, why I went into the field of psychotherapy, I've always been fascinated by psychology and the human mind. And I knew that I wanted to work with people. I didn't want to do research or, and I didn't want to teach. So I knew I wanted to really be hands-on interacting with people. I just didn't know in what capacity. And I just find, I find it really fascinating to sit and strategize with someone about what the messages they are receiving from their subconscious mind and really decoding them and dismantling them and breaking it down so that we could build it back up and create another paradigm. I find it just really very fascinating. Even, you know, I've sort of evolved over the years and I work with different kinds of people now. And so I'm super intrigued though, by the human mind and what motivates us. And so I, I love to be able to sort of, you know, get inside people's minds. <laughs> I think that's fascinating. Yeah. And I, I'm right along with you. I think the brain and the conscious, the subconscious, like there, it's mm-hmm. just, there's so many different aspects of it that we don't even all the way comprehend mm-hmm. I, as we're just going through our lives. We don't pay attention to some of these beliefs and these, these voices that we're hearing. And they make such a great impact on the decisions that we make and the habits that we form and what we ultimately think that we are capable or incapable of. And I think hearing you talk about how you really dig in with your clients, both in the former aspects of your career and in the current, really digging into what are those subconscious beliefs that they possess and how can you really challenge them so that they are programmed to help you, the client, move forward rather than stay stuck or rather than like cut themselves off before they achieve a goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's um it's been really interesting for me as I've transitioned into the online space. There are a good handful of therapists who have transitioned out of therapy into coaching. Largely, I think it has to do with just the the structure and the business model of therapy is just so not conducive because it it sets us up for burnout which i have my own experience with which maybe you know we'll touch on later mm-hmm. 
so there are a handful of us, but also what I find, I was on a consult call with a coach this morning and she wanted me to describe how I work. And so I talked with her about really how I, you know, we can't, we can't convince ourselves of a new belief. So, you know, we can use mantras and affirmations, but if they're actually not linked to what's going on subconsciously, if we can't access what is at the source of the thing that I'm feeling in the present and get to it at the source and then remove that and then change the narrative. If we can't get to that, then we're just feeding ourselves fluff that our mind will not accept because it can't believe it. And our mind is actually too smart for that. So I like to think about it as, um, I gave this example, I think the other day on a story or something like, so in this, in this room that I'm in, I had the floors redone like during COVID. And so we pulled up the carpet and there was some water underneath. So we actually had to do some repairing and dry it out before we could put the wood floors down. And so it's really how I speak with my uh, clients and just, you know, in general to people is that, you know, if, if you have sort of wet, damaged, moldy flooring on the base, you can't just lay down beautiful hardwood oak floors on top of it because What's underneath is ultimately going to eat away at what you've laid on the surface. So I am a, I am a, I work from the inside out kind of person. And so, um, so it's deep and it's really long lasting, which is what I feel so good about that people are, they feel really good because they've had a, a really deep structural or paradigm shift. Oh, I love that analogy because it is so true and it makes it really concrete for those of us who are listening to really picture that concept of laying down the new floor on top of the damage that you had found underneath, deciding to go forward with that masking, if you will, is mm -hmm. just, it might serve for a time, but down the road, it's ultimately going to bubble up. Mm -hmm. That's and, what my floor guy said. <laughs> yes. <Right>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've had some issues like that before too. And just to your example, like the subconscious functions in the same way. Like you said, there's a lot of things that emerge as far as trends or new things that you can try that we hear about. But if we don't dig in and we don't really solve what's at the root, then we're just asking for problems or for those old habits to bubble up down the road. Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly. So while you, you talked us through like making that transition from working with your child clients into working with a different subset, but can you tell us a little bit more as you got a little further in your evolution of your career path, at what point was it really clear to you that the traditional setting was not going to work for you anymore and you decided to pursue and add to what you could offer clients? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I would say about, so this is 2023. So 2020 was COVID. So around 2015, I would say I started uh, really grappling with two things. One was sustainability at the way that I was working. And the other was my clinical model and how I worked with my clients. And so as a practitioner, I've always been in my own personal therapy and I've always been in advanced training throughout my career. So I've always had a lot of support and really trying to just advance my own knowledge and self-awareness. But 
what I started to realize in about 2015 was I, I really was sort of maxed out from a, a business standpoint in terms of, you know, just my learning, particularly in the kind of therapy I was practicing. And also, um, I couldn't see any more clients. I was tapped out on clients. I was seeing as many as I could see. My fee was as high as it could see. I didn't take insurance. And so I really had sort of peaked. And at that point, I was like, you know, I'm not really sure what to do. I could sort of ride this out. So that was 2015. My daughter was about five and now she's turning 14 this summer. So we're also at a different life stage. So it makes our plans a little bit um, different than they were then. So I was actually racking my brain for several years trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I also didn't have any time to really even think about what I was going to do because I was working so much. I was up at 4.50 a.m. to get on the spin bike by five so that I could ride with my Peloton crew. And then um, and then I would shower, eat, and go to the office. And I would be there all day. And I wouldn't get home till after dark. And I was so exhausted. I would just come home. I would watch House Hunters International. And my husband would take care of our daughter. And, uh, and then I'd go to bed. And I did that. It was Groundhog's Day. I did that every day. So I didn't have a lot of time to think about it until COVID happened which uh, was a blessing for me. It was a mixed bag, really. I had It was a very difficult year in many ways, but the silver lining in that for me was it, it really forced me to come to a screeching halt and I slowed down and um, my commute wasn't long, but actually when I had breaks in the day, I could work out during the day. I could go for walks. I had a massive upgrade in my quality of life. It was really amazing after I got over the initial crisis of moving an entire caseload of clientele online overnight, which was, you know, talk about Zoom fatigue. So, um, so at that point I started thinking, okay, now what? And so I was just, I, I started creating space in my schedule. I decided to give up the training program I was in, which created a lot of bandwidth for me. I started creating some space um, from other obligations that I had, and I felt a little more free. And then I um, started thinking about what was next for me. And that's when I started having access to people online who were running group coaching programs. And I got involved in some from fitness and nutrition because that's really what I was doing. And then I decided at that point, that's what I want to do. I, I didn't want to do it in fitness and nutrition, but that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to bring women together. I wanted to work globally. I wanted to be able to work more non-traditionally and unconventionally. So I went, I got a health coaching certificate. I did a nutrition coaching program, gut health, hormone health. I was also just personally interested in it myself. And so, um, so the kind of psychotherapy I practice, which is psychoanalytic psychotherapy, which is very traditional, it's pretty, um, it's a pretty sort of strict kind of protocol we follow. And I say protocol, it's not prescriptive in that way. But in terms of how we present ourselves and what we talk about and how active and directive we are and are not actually. So it would be weird for me to start talking with a client about how we need to maybe think about their gut health if they're depressed, because, you know, 95% of your serotonin is manufactured in your gut lining. They'd look at me like I had three heads because that's just not what you do in that kind of therapy. So I gradually evolved. And although my therapy clients didn't know this, I think they just sort of felt the shift and they moved with it. And I think they started to appreciate it. And I started to bring in more health related stuff, more nutritional psychiatry, which is also I'm very interested in. So for me, it was all where the health intersected with mental health, you know, so 
then we've talked about nervous system regulation, which I had studied um, polyvagal theory. And so it, it really just like brought the experience to life times 10. And because psychoanalytic psychotherapy is very serious, like it's a very serious form of, <laughs> of work. And I felt so stifled for so long. And you see my personality, right? And maybe the listeners can sort of hear my energy. I'm a pretty energetic person. And so I really felt like I, I just, I needed to sort of like come out of that shell. And, um, and so I've been sort of making that evolution for three years because, you know, when you are one way for a really long time, you know, it takes some time to start to make some shifts in how you relate to yourself and how you relate to people. And so, but it's felt really good to me. It's felt, I've really been able to lean into my own gut and see how, just how congruent it feels and how harmonious it feels for me. I think that your story is, while it's not the same as anyone else, we all have very unique backstories. There are so many commonalities that I hear, especially among women today in how we got to where we are today as founders. And one thing I hear come up again and again that I've heard in your story just now too, is this concept of really pushing yourself to the limits, like thinking that the way to success is to just give and give and give as much of yourself as you could. And as you spoke to in your example, it really it capped you where you were at career-wise. And also it just wasn't as fulfilling as we might have thought it was going to be. And burnout is like a real thing. And I, in your story about like when COVID came on and having that space to kind of think and reflect and try things out, I agree with you. I felt it too, that like in those seasons where you just feel so stretched thin, mm -hmm. it's hard to find the space, but yeah. the space is what you need in order to work through that burnout. Is there Precisely. anything else you would add to that? Yeah. You know, I think that it's a, it's really a vicious cycle that is self-perpetuating because I didn't want to give myself the space because I was, you know, it was like my peak hustler days. My practice was just thriving and I had a wait list and the thought of cutting back, like to me that equated success. Now, one of my a part of my old money story that I've really worked on is that you have to work hard to make money. And so I come from a family of really hard workers. My, both my parents worked really hard. My brothers worked really hard, blue collar family, but they worked really hard. And so that was really the, what, so it felt, it felt like I was doing the right thing. Like I'm working really hard for my money, you know, but really over time, it was so evident to me at one point, it was like, I can't keep doing this. But because I felt like I didn't know what else I was going to do, I, I felt so trapped. And I think for so many women and men, but I think for so many women, they feel trapped in that vicious cycle that they don't, you need some really powerful intervening force that's actually more potent than the hustling experience because hustle is intense, right? So you need an intervening force that not only matches that intensity, but exceeds it. And it was COVID for a lot of people, right? Because that was like, 
okay, from one day to the, I left the office on Friday and I have not ever been back. And so, um, so it was a, it was, it was a good sort of jilting wake up call for me to then start to, okay, well, great. Now, now let me think about what I'm going to do. Oh, that, that strong, potent force that kind of has to knock you off your axis in order to pick up and decide where you're going to go from there. That's such, such a tangible thing that I think a lot of us probably, again, we can all relate to that collective experience of COVID, but there are probably other points in our life that we can point to as like, there was a before this moment and then there was an after. And that was kind of that turning point that made us change direction. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that like in the past you've worked with women and in your coaching too, like burnout is something that you've talked about with a lot of clients. Is is that correct, Carrie? Yes. And are there other strategies or other ways that you kind of work them through to like really make progress in overcoming that burnout phase? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's one of my favorite things actually to um, talk about, think about and work with because so I use polyvagal theory, which is, um, it's a theory developed by Stephen Porges and then his um, contemporary Deb Dana. They are clinicians and it was originally used uh, in a psychotherapy setting. And basically what it is, it's polyvagal. So it's based on the vagus nerve and uh, it's a way to start to, so what they did was they, they created a, they, they use a sort of an image of a ladder. And it's a way to conceptualize uh, the way we move up and down the ladder of regulation and dysregulation. And so um, at the top of the ladder is the safety zone, ventral vagal. Middle of the ladder is sympathetic activation, which could be anything from like adrenaline, like, you know, you're hopping on your spin bike for a hit class, all hands on deck, and all the way to fight flight. And then at the bottom of the ladder is dorsal vagal shutdown. So we move predictably up and down that ladder. So if we spend too much time in the middle in sympathetic activation, we end up um, moving down to dorsal vagal shutdown. And we move through that throughout the day, throughout moments, weeks, months, years. So burnout, physiologically speaking, is living in a chronic state of sympathetic activation. And so that's how we would think about burnout. So it's actually a great way. I talked to, I, I have... I talk to male and female clients because I work with both, but, you know, I sort of specialize in women, but, um, but men are equally as fascinated about this because what happens, and there's certain careers that are really um, sort of like people who do like really high intensity launches and coaching physicians who work in emergency rooms. I work with news reporters. Like these are people who have real high highs and real low lows. They're sort of up and down. And, and when you're up for so long, the only thing you could do is crash unless you have a process for very intentionally moving yourself back up the ladder. And most people don't. We don't like we don't know to have a process to intentionally move mm-hmm. ourselves back up. So we burn out. It's really as I ran you through my day a few moments ago where I'd work all day long and I was not in ventral vagal. I was I was it was, you know, it was this activation. It was a you know, I was working, it was focused, it was intense. And then I would just come home and crash. And so that was my equivalent of, of a dorsal vagal shutdown. So really what I needed to do then was um, by the end of my day, or actually multiple times throughout my day, continue to bring myself back up to the top of the ladder. But that was before I was really applying polyvagal to me. 
so it is a way, it is a way that I really love to work with my clients. And I have a bunch of sort of workbooks that I share with them that we walk through. I create different kinds of visualizations and conceptually they really hold on to it. And men and women alike really enjoy working with this because it makes sense to them. Because, you know, when you say nervous system regulation, it's like, yeah, what's that? You know, but when you start to talk to people about how they are in a all hands on deck, and it's like, if you work at a job where it's all hands on deck 10 times a day, you know, it's like, imagine if you did a hit class 10 times a day, your nervous system would be shot. So mm-hmm. it's a really beautiful way for me to explain this in, you know, non-jargony language that is so relatable for clients. And I think there are probably, especially to the founders and the business owners that are listening, there are so many times you spoke to the time frame of a launch, but in any founder's story, there are going to be these times where it does feel like that all hands, I have to do everything I can to make this go. And there is that intensity and then there's that come down and I think probably everybody listening can relate to having that experience somewhere in their founder's story. And I think you're right in the fact that having that that imagery that we can associate with the ladder mm-hmm. and building out those ways that we can get back to the top is really something that we can take away from our time with you today as an action step. So even if it's just a thought process of working through and anticipating the next time that that happens. That's one thing you can take away from today's episode for sure. That'll help you going forward with combating burnout. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can give you a couple of other uh, tips on that too. So wonderful. When you're in sympathetic activation and so the, the key here is, is knowing when we're in what state so there is a there is a bit of pre-work to know when we're in what state. But let's just assume that you know when you're in what state. And I think I have a lead magnet for this. So I'm going to give you that and so Ooh. you can attach to the show notes. Wonderful. So knowing when you're in what state, then when you're in sympathetic activation, most of the things that we do to regulate ourselves are things that we all do anyway. The difference here is using it intentionally and using it deliberately. So if we're in a sympathetic activation and we've been there a while and we recognize we're there, we can't just go on our day and act like that's not happening because what will happen is, is we'll stay there and eventually we'll crash and fall down to the bottom of the ladder. So what we need to do is deliberately create, if there's a regular routine where people get into sympathetic activation because just the nature of their work, or if it's just more, um, sort of random. We then want to start to execute on a few strategies that work for us. And it's very individualized, but I'm going to give you some examples anyway, that then bring us back to the top of the ladder because the stressors we experience in our body are cumulative and they compound. So every time we have to stress a stressor, we have to actually re-regulate ourselves because mm-hmm. we're not, our body's not going to re-regulate on its own, right? It's that it doesn't operate on autopilot in that way. So there are things that that I encourage people to do is to create a few different playlists and you can create them in Spotify. You can create like an upregulating playlist, something where if you're in dorsal vagal and you need to sort of re-energize yourself, you create a playlist for that and you put that on. Now, if you're in sympathetic activation and you need to downregulate yourself so that you could be more 
grounded and get back up to ventral vagal, you could create a different playlist. Music's really big. You can also do lots of sensory things because when we can invoke the senses, we're really accessing all parts of our being. So we can also think about um, lighting candles. We could think about sort of texture. I have a lot of like soft robes and blankets. Like I like that barefoot dreams. And so we think about things that are really nourishing, things that we would have anyway. We just might not use them in that manner, but we're using them intentionally. And so really it's actually the other thing I love about polyvagal is that it's so easily incorporated because most, most founders and CEOs are like, I don't have any time to add anything else to my schedule. I'm like, don't worry. You're going to actually do this while you're doing other things. And the beauty in that is you're going to start to downregulate yourself. You don't have to do a two-hour morning sacred ritual, I promise you. <laughs> so there's a lot of things that we can do to really start to ground ourselves. It's really just about using them with intention. I was going to point that out. It's like you said, it's making it accessible, the things you already have, but it's it's that mindset of intention that you bring to it, like paying attention to what's going on and then having the tools in order to get your body and get you back into where you want to be. Oh, mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. Don't you wish that sometimes you had a fairy godmother for your business? I do. Oh, and I, when I say I do, I don't mean that I also wish I had one. I mean, I truly have one. I, I have a fairy godmother for my business. Her name is Megan and she is my VA. VA is a virtual assistant. So a virtual assistant is just like an administrative assistant, but they work remotely. So you don't have to have physical space for them. They work from the convenience of their own home on their own schedule, but they help you get stuff done. I honestly think VAs are the solution for the modern woman in business, whether you're an entrepreneur or a small business owner, because guess what? We do a lot of things, you guys, and we need support to help us get it all done. Megan Knapp is my VA here at MKM, and she helps me with scheduling, email organization, Canva organization, Dropbox organization. Organization is a theme here. So in general, she keeps my shit together, if you will. Uh, She helps me with our monthly billing, invoicing, reporting, spreadsheets, and all of those admin tasks that make my head spin that I am just not cut out for. Right now, Megan is accepting new clients on her virtual assistant roster. So if you are someone who could really use support in organization, in customer service, in getting all of the things done in a handy, efficient way, Megan is your fairy godmother in the wings. So just reach out meganknappva at gmail.com or you can send me a message here at MKM, Molly, you know, me, the host here at The Fountain Podcast, and I will get you connected with Megan. Truly, she is a dream and your business will never be the same when you have her hands and her eyes on the admin side of your business. Trust me, Megan can be your fairy godmother too. And just reach out if I can help you get connected. I have a question. This wasn't on the prep sheet, but it intrigues me. <laughs> so with the with this concept of burnout, is it something that like in this post, I'm using post-COVID very loosely, um, but in this post-COVID timeframe, 
are you seeing in your interactions with clients or just collectively? I feel like burnout has really become more acknowledged and more talked about. Is that something that am I just like in tune to that a little bit more? Or are you seeing it as something that we are definitely having more conversations around burnout, more people are experiencing it? What are your thoughts? I think that's right. I think that people are, I think it's on the radar more. I think that, you know, maybe eight years ago, people looked at it as, you know, you're just being, you're just hustling. It's, you know, it's what you do. And, um, and so I do think that people are thinking about it more. They're talking about it more. There's more research about it. There's more books on it. You know, the world health organization defines it really more as a sort of in the medical profession, like it's defined differently, but in the general population, we use it more loosely because the reality is, is everyone experiences burnout. And so I think that it's on the radar and when I think about myself, I'm just a hustler by nature. Okay. So I've had to find a way to hustle without burning myself out. And really what that's about now is listening when I listening to my mind and body, when I feel like I'm forcing something like before I would just force it, I would push through. It's like, yeah, I could see another client, whatever, you know, and I would just, I would just, I would just do it. I would just do it without thinking. And it was a huge sacrifice to my own self, but I just did it. Now I sort of hustle in like stints. And so I will have these like moments where I'm like, all right, it's all hands on deck. I'm doing what I have to do. And then I back off. So for me, what that's about is I, I create some sympathetic activation, which is what we need when we're all hands on deck, because you can't be in like a super Zen state when you're like rolling out a launch, right? Mm-hmm. So I create some sympathetic activation, which is a mobilizing energy, which is very healthy. And I am really good at knowing when I'm teetering between that and a fight flight because I don't want to be in that state. So I can pull myself back and then I just stop working. I just stop doing what I'm doing. And it takes me really quickly to reset. So that's the beauty in when we work with our nervous system and when we're working post-burnout is that when you start doing this work, you actually develop a huge level of resilience and adaptability. So you can go there and pull yourself back and go there and pull yourself back. Before before you do that and before I was able to do that, I would go past the point of no return all the time and didn't know it until I was already past it. And so we want to catch it beforehand. And that's also part of the beauty in doing polyvagal work. Oh, and I think that both, I think this is a beautiful intersection of your training and your experience, because I'm sure that, you know, having the educational component is part and parcel with what you experienced in growing your own private practice. And then now being able to take both of those to help founders and CEOs through their own journeys and through their own experiences you're just able to help them in a much more holistic way. And all the things that you're talking about as well, like talking about gut health and talking about mental health and fitness and nutrition and all of that really makes that word like holistic stand Mm -hmm. out to me too about what you do with your clients. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which I really have a deep appreciation for because the reality is, is when I was working in the office and I was getting up at 4.50 to spin, it was really hard to get eight hours in and I'm an eight hour a night person. So I wasn't getting eight hours. I was getting six to seven, which isn't enough for me. 
And then I was getting up and working out. I'm sort of defeating the purpose of working out for health because on the front end, I'm working out for health. And on the back end, I'm depriving myself of sleep. And here's where I think that women really struggle because they're like, well, I don't, you know, what's got to give? I mean, I can't not do this thing. I can't not do this thing. And I always say to my clients, look, there's one pie. It's an analogy I love. There's one pie. And it depends on how many slices there are. So, you know, we've got our spouse, we have our children, we have our career, we have our social life, we have our, you know, physical health, mental health, and and all those those slices occupy, um, they're, they're all different sizes, right? And so however much space they occupy, but we still only have one pie. So that is true that we do have to take from somewhere. And usually where women like me end up taking from is from ourselves, so that we can meet all of these expectations that are self-imposed. And so I was just squeezing it all in. And really what was happening was I was just compromising my mental health. Because the reality is, is I wasn't even really happy. Like I was really not happy, but I was just doing the thing. I lived for the next vacation. Truly, that's what I did. I couldn't wait till the next vacation. That's what I lived for. And I would, and I- I would just come down from it, you know? I bet there are so many people listening who can relate to that, Carrie. Like, okay, when is my next PTO? When can I put that in? But I hear you. Like, there is a point when you when you embark on this entrepreneurial journey or this founder experience, and you're really driven by your vision or you're really driven by the impact. And I know that for me personally, and maybe for others listening, there's a point where you're like, okay, I've went as far as I can and I've done the things and I've checked off the boxes that I had written on my five-year goals. And it doesn't really feel like I thought it was going to feel. It's just <laughs> yeah. like, where is that? Like, where's that internal fulfillment thing that I've been talking mm-hmm. about? And I feel like then it can kind of kick into that Groundhog Day experience that yeah. you were talking about because it's like, okay, I've put all this into place. I can't really dismantle it. or Otherwise I'm going to be a quote unquote failure. And so then that kind of leads into a whole other level of maybe burnout, but also like a shame spiral or Mm -hmm. some of these other feelings that can come about. And if there's a woman listening today who can identify with maybe some of that, maybe she has plateaued or maybe she's feeling this, not quite what she had expected to feel. Are there any, any strategies or are there any, maybe some ways to start thinking about situations differently that you could advise that listener through? Yeah. So it's like, you you know, you sort of like, oh, I arrived. Okay. Now what? And I think that when we are focusing on a place that we are going to arrive at, it almost always isn't what we imagine in our mind because we can't, we don't really have a crystal ball. So we don't actually know what it's going to be like. So when I started my private practice and my entrepreneurial journey, I really had no idea what it was going to be like. I mean, I have all sorts of, you know, visualizations now about this part of my journey, but, but the reality is, is I don't know what it's going to look like. And I think that for women, when they've sort of checked all of the boxes and they've arrived at that place of their accomplishments. And then they have a a, a sort of a certain level of disillusionment that sets in like, Mm -hmm. wow, is this it? Like, I mean, what, what was this for? Like, what, 
what did I just, you know, break my butt for to get here, you know? And that was really what I was thinking. I was like, oh man, and I have 20 more years like this. Wow. Like, I don't think I can do that. And that was really for me where the rubber met the road was when I asked mm-hmm. myself, can you do what you're doing for 20 more years? And when, when my, like, I really sort of came face to face with myself. And when I answered no to that, that was really a, a realization for me, like, okay, well, then we have to start getting creative and think about what else to do. Because I think that most women who are working women, and if they're working moms, they get a lot of gratification out of the work they do, right? I love to work. I mean, I, you know, I love to have time off, but I also really enjoy the work. And if I feel like I'm not growing anymore, then I feel very status quo and static. And to me, that just feels really boring. Like, I don't want to just go and do the thing and then come home. And I, I want to really, I want a richness. And I think that when women sort of arrive at this place and they have this disillusionment, it just feels flat. Mm-hmm. You know, it just lands really flatly. It's like, where's all the multidimensionality of this experience, you know? So I think at that point, there's really a, there's sort of a, you know, a heart to heart that we have to have with ourselves in terms of, okay, so how can I, you know, peel back another couple of layers so that I could start to create some more richness and vitality in what I'm doing. And if I can't do it on this path, then I, I really should start to get creative and think about another path because that is really all we have on this planet, right? Is what we make of it because life in and of itself, I'll get existential life in and of itself is actually really hard and really painful. So we need to create the experience of having pleasure and joy and interest and excitement and passion. Otherwise it won't come. We'll just be doing the thing. Oh, I love that you took us existential. (laughs) Create what you want to see. I love, and it reminds me again, it's taking the conversation kind of full circle. And you had that moment of, is this sustainable? And really thinking about the next path forward for you. And again, having space to really practice that creativity, bring in that excitement, cultivate and that inner person that maybe had been kind of stunted during the real hustle time mm-hmm. in order to create this new version. And I'm not sure if you said it or if it came to me while you were speaking, but I know at one point you were talking about allowing for it to happen over time and really giving yourself space and grace to evolve, not make it overnight quick decision that'll then solve all of your problems, but really giving yourself the understanding that this is going to take more than a day, a week, a month. I'm on this life's journey. And so it's going to take me a little bit of time to figure out this next part. Mm -hmm. That takes a lot of the anxiety out of it, particularly for, for women who like feel a sense of urgency, like I did. And I like to have things done yesterday, but I've, I've really reframed that. Like, you know, I'm, I'm in it for the long game and there's really no rush. I'm, I am on the journey. And So I think when we can reframe that, it takes a lot of the anxiety out of it. And then we're not pushing ourselves to arrive at the next place only to feel disillusioned again. Mm -hmm. Right. So the other thing I was going to say about this is when people are in their, you know, peak hustling mode, when we're in a hustle mode, we're just surviving. So you can't thrive when you're in survival mode. So if we, so we think about crisis mode and then we, when you get out of crisis mode, you're into survival mode. And when you get out of survival mode, you're in thriving mode. Okay. So 
So from crisis to surviving, for sure, surviving is better than being in crisis. But we we're not we're not moving up uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, so to speak. If we're in survival mode, we're just getting our basic needs met. If we're even lucky, so there's no like big plans for what's next at that point because we're just like I just need to sleep, right? I just need to make sure I'm eating something halfway decent, and I need to make sure I'm sleeping, and then I just got to do my work. Oh, you're taking me back. So I didn't, I don't know if I've told you that, like I'm a teacher by trade. And so like Maslow's hierarchy of needs takes mm. me right back to my teacher <laughs> training. <laughs> I love it. Well, Carrie, I know we're getting close on time already. I knew that we were going to have this. We could talk all day. I think this is just fascinating talking about the ins and outs of how we think and how we make decisions and these feelings that we have along the journey of being a woman and being a mom and being an entrepreneur and a founder. And I know we could take this in a million other directions, but as we look forward and we think about the woman who's on the other side of these speakers and she is on her own entrepreneurial path and she has founded this business and she's feeling like that sense of disillusionment Maybe she's feeling like she's in a space where she's challenged right now and she doesn't know what the next best step is. What would be a step or a strategy that you would encourage her to take in the near future in order to start unpacking what that next step might be for her? Does it look like something you've already explained to us or does it look like a strategy that you have to share? Well, it, it would actually be, I would say, and here's where some women really struggle is I would say this woman should find someone to work with. So mm. I really believe that as entrepreneurs, CEOs, founders, it's really important that we create a team of people that will support us from, you know, tech VAs to admin VAs to, um, to different coaches, therapists, whatever it might be, that we really need a team of people to support us. And there are a lot of women who really have a very strong self-sufficiency drive in them, which flies in the face of asking for certain kinds of help because they feel like they should be able to do it. And I think that, that it takes a lot of courage to get to a certain level to say, well, maybe I could do it, but I don't have to do it myself. So I really find that having the space to work with someone to unpack this, who can hold it with you and for you in the meantime, so that you're not holding it yourself. To me, that is really, that's irreplaceable by anything else. There's, it's always really good to have someone hold it. And I just think about me as a therapist. As I said, I always had a, my own personal therapist and I always had a supervisor, case consultant, because I'm holding all of these clients and my stuff. I need some people to help me hold that. So I'm a big believer in having a team of people that really support your success, your internal success, right? And your psyche and your outward success, your systems, your methods, your structures, and all of that. So that would be my advice because. Most people, once they start working with someone, it's like, it's a little different with a business coach. I mean, people are looking for action and strategy. What I find when people start to work with someone like me or who does something like me is after the first session, they're like, wow, I just feel like a whole weight has been lifted and we haven't even done much yet. It's mm -hmm. just having the space because 
we don't get that space, right? The other thing I was just going to add about, about entrepreneurs and CEOs and founders, especially women, is that there's a public persona, there's a public face. And yes. so they really have to, you know, you know, we have to sort of be professional and put that on. And so there's a whole private life that people experience that they really have nowhere to put. And you don't want to keep unloading it in your marriage either. So, you know, it's to keep the pipes clean. That's really sort of how I've always thought about it. It's a good way to keep the pipes clean. Oh my gosh, that is such a great, a great way to just to wrap this up. Like who can you bring around you and keep the pipes clean with? Like, oh my gosh, I can totally relate because I know in 2022, I went through a season where it did feel like there was so much changing and shifting going on. And it does everything you talked about, the public persona, the the questions that you have to answer and make decisions for, it can feel like so much on your own shoulders. But once you share that and once you vocalize it, it's like it just does release and it makes room for the next the next step to kind of present itself to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and one more thing about that. I could always say one more thing, but this is the one more thing is that uh, women women feel a lot of shame about that. Right. So they feel a lot of shame about the public persona and the private one when it's very different. And the anecdote for shame, the treat, the intervention, the anecdote for shame is to really expose it. We shine a light on it. And when we do that with someone we feel safe with, it actually releases the potency of the shame. So shame is bred in secrecy. Secrecy breeds shame. And the more we hold on to this secret that we are one person in public and we are a different person in private, and actually I'm really a mess in the background, but you see this person who's rocking it and has it all together. Once we can actually share that with someone, it, it releases the shame and, and that, you know, women carry a lot of shame for things that we shouldn't even have shame about, but it's just, mm-hmm. it's just such a, it's such a potent magnetic, unfortunately, uh, emotion. So, so that is the anecdote for shame. Oh my gosh. Thank you for sharing that. I think that was a really important addition. The antidote for shame, shining a light on it. Yes. Love it. And that can be so hard. I totally agree. So hard, right? It's it's we it's paradoxical because when we feel shameful about something, we want to keep it even more secret. So it is paradoxical. Hmm. Carrie, if others listening, like myself, are like, I could just listen to you talk about this for hours on end. Where can they connect with you, and what can they expect coming up from Carrie Cohen? Yeah. So. They can connect with me. I am, um, my primary platform is LinkedIn. I'll give you that link. You can put it in the show notes because it's hard to find without a link because there's probably a million Carrie Collins on there. Um, I'm very active on LinkedIn. I, I spent a lot of time talking about this and, um, and very engaged there. I am active on Instagram stories and I repurpose content for Instagram from LinkedIn. And, um, I have a website, which I will give you. And what do I have coming up? So right now, as I'm in my pivot to niching down to founders and CEOs, um, I sort of paused my group I was running because I'm going to rework that. And I am now working, I'm just doing one-on-ones right now with founders and CEOs. And so, um, and with that, I do a combination of coaching and um, rapid transformational therapy, which we didn't talk about, but that's okay. It's a form of hypnotherapy that's that's literally transformational, life-changing. People would think it's magic. As a therapist, I don't believe in magic. I'm all science-backed and based, but it is amazing the power of it after even just one session. I like to do more than one session, but I find that people who've really tried everything, they've done everything, and they 
work with me on that, that it, it removes gridlock that like you, you've been holding on to for five, 10 plus years that you didn't even know you could get rid of. So, um, so that's, so I, I really, I work with my clients very holistically, but it's also very, um, it's really powerful, potent work. Oh, this is, you know, it's not therapy, but I take my clinical background with me. You know, I can't separate myself from the clinician. So I'm not doing psychotherapy per se, but but I, I am a clinician at heart. So, well, and as we had talked about earlier, it's just all of the experiences that you bring to the table come together mm-hmm. in what you can do for clients today. Yeah. And so it's just bring all of that. Yeah. To I find it to be a beautiful, just a, like a beautiful matrimony of all of these sort of experiences that I like to be able to share with clients. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, thank you so much for sharing that with us today, Carrie, I know I've learned so much and I hope that the listeners out there, they really took to heart the discussions that we had in regards to changing your mind, evolving, how to really work through some of those feelings that we all have and release shame and get through to the other side. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Thank you, Molly. Thanks for the space here and um, thank the listeners for uh, tuning in. And I appreciate this. I I really deeply enjoyed talking about these things. I just find it very interesting and just so moving too. So I appreciate the space and the time. Thank you. Hey friend, thank you so much for listening in to The Found Podcast. If you loved what you heard in today's episode, please head over to The Found Podcast on iTunes or Spotify and leave us a review. It means so much to know how you think about these episodes where I pour out my heart or to know what strategies you found most effective from our guest experts. While you're there, you can also check out that library of 100 plus episodes of stories of female founders and successful strategies for getting found in your business. Thank you again for being here this week and I'll be back with even more in next week's episode.